and welcome to Activating Sustainability. My name is Chris Peterson and I'm your host. Welcome to our first podcast of 2022. We hope everybody's staying safe in the context of the global pandemic and is feeling energized and excited about the year ahead. We certainly face a number of challenges, but equally so many opportunities that I know are getting a lot of people energized and excited about what can be done within the sustainability space. To help share their perspective, I'm really excited to be joined today by Chantal Lutsky, CEO of North America, and Brad Blendell, head of Europe, Middle East, and Latin America for Anthesis Group. Chantal and Brad, thanks so much for joining us today. Welcome to the podcast. Good to be with you both. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for the invitation, Chris. So maybe to get us started and set the stage, I mean, there's been such a dynamic change within our space over the last six to 18 months. You know, and as you reflect on that and think ahead to kind of what's hot, what's driving that, you know, how is this different between your regions? We'd love to get some of your thoughts and perspectives. Maybe, Brad, do you want to kick us off with that? Yeah, sure. I think uh, we've obviously been through a couple of years that have been unlike any other previous couple of years with the global pandemic. And I think uh, as we're exiting with a different profile of awareness around ESG, and I think the awakening of the financial services community has has really come alive during this period. So ESG, you know, principles of responsible investment were were launched just before the global financial crisis, which which muted them. You know, as we're ex- exiting the the pandemic, they're very much alive and a key driver not only just for the primary focus around financial services, but also indirectly to other clients that we're working with where they may be looking for finance and all of a sudden they're getting asked questions that they weren't being asked a couple of years ago. So ESG, I would say, is the biggest growth that we've seen over the last couple of years and is extremely hot at the moment. Yeah, it was funny reading the Larry Fink letter and just seeing like them tightening the screws, right? And I think that's the trend we've been seeing over the last couple of years, but you know, that kind of the shot across the bow of the shareholder propositions and kind of that governance element and some of that accountability coming in was pretty insightful and interesting to see how it's deepening there. Yeah, completely. I remember listening to a webinar with a cross-section of the financial services community from private equity and investment banking, commercial banking, and one of the commentators said that you know the pandemic created a moment where the sector had gone through banking reforms and stability post global global financial crisis, and they recognised that it couldn't sustain the kind of shocks that we saw in the noughties, and resilience was the key to going forward. And as a consequence, the the way in which we look at resilience in an investment context is through an ESG lens, and it it just become a thing that the pandemic had really focused the the whole community's attention on. So the Larry Fink letter was one of those moments we'll look upon as a watershed where the financial services world changed from that point on. Mm. Well, it's interesting too, because I always think about kind of that Amila region, Europe in particular, really being driven by policy. And Chantal, as we pivot to North America and thinking about kind of the predominance of the financial community driving a lot of things and that kind of the balance between the two being different, do you see that similarly or even more so within the North American context? Yeah, Chris, I think we're seeing the same drivers. And interesting that you mentioned policy being at the heart of what's happening in Europe and the UK. And of course, regulation is much more advanced, shall we say, there. I think the US is going to 
you know, there'll be some big announcements coming out in the next few months in terms of regulation, uh, taking cues from what's been happening in, in Europe and the UK. And so there are going to be some big shifts this year. And I think we've all been reading Larry Fink's letter this week. Um, you know, I really liked it when he said that we're focusing on sustainability, not because we're environmentalists, but because we're capitalists and fiduciaries to our clients. And I think that's so critical. It's that sense of the fiduciary responsibility that is now starting to weigh on the financial sector. So ESG, absolutely agree with Brad. It's, it's been a huge driver. And what's been fascinating is that the pandemic has not slowed anything down from a sustainability perspective and the need to be hyper-focused on sustainability. You know, net zero, I think, is the other big plank in what should we be doing when people are thinking about how can they be taking that fiduciary responsibility very seriously, both as an investment house or just as an inhabitant on the planet. You know, what should we be doing? So we're seeing tremendous growth in ESG here in North America team as well as net zero and of course a lot of companies are really giving serious thought to should they be setting a science-based target or even better making that commitment so we it's been great supporting really big household known brands working to achieve their science-based targets and achieving them uh, late last year and early this year i think that the market will continue to grow in these two areas big focus on esg I think more and more focus on the s in esg and then all things net zero, particularly as we look at how do we drive big changes in our food system to get to net zero in the food systems. Uh, you, you can stop taking all coal out of the ground. You can stop using all coal-fired furnaces and still not get to the Paris commitments if we don't radically change the way our food systems are operating, for example. So there's a huge opportunity for us there to engage with clients and look at the really big drivers to get to meet the Paris COP commitments. Absolutely. And I think Chantelle is a great way of characterizing. I mean, those are huge commitments, huge opportunities, and really significant challenges. So I'd be curious to hear from the two of you, as you think about kind of your roles within Anthesis and the organization, et cetera, how you maintain the optimism, kind of what sits behind that. I think it's something that we probably all are challenged with and all find a way to navigate through, but would love to hear your thoughts about kind of what's getting you excited about the future and kind of how do you see taking on those monumental, huge challenges? We kind of boil down what Anthesis does into, into three broad areas of activity. Activation, so you know, how we bring our consulting work to life into a program of activation, driving corporates through a process of transformation. Education, you know, we recognize that there is huge potential and a huge need to support through learning what needs to be done and helping not just citizens as our Spanish colleagues support, but you know, corporate entities to, to learn uh, what needs to be done. And then innovation, you know, we're in an era where we need to stop doing some things and start doing some new things. And a lot of that is underpinned by new technologies and new ways of doing things. So those three broad groups of, of activities are what really keeps us focused and keeps us busy in Anthesis. It keeps us focused, keeps us busy and keeps us optimistic, Chris, to respond to your question. I could just say, well, you know, what's the alternative? If one is not optimistic, the alternative is not worth, doesn't bear thinking about. But yeah, I'm optimistic and beyond optimistic, I think excited about the opportunities in front of us. I am, as you know, reasonably new to Anthesis, you know, a year and a bit in, and I love the Activate journey that we take clients on and again the opportunity that presents because transforming an organization around something as important as sustainability is a, is a privilege 
And so how can you not be excited and optimistic about that, that to have that opportunity in front of you? And I'm excited about the team members that we have. We have an incredible cohort of people who are passionate about what they do. They are deep subject matter experts. And you know they see themselves as frontline workers in many ways in taking something very, very important to organizations, large and small, private and publicly traded, and helping drive really transformational change. And again, I think that's exciting. It's exhilarating. It's energizing. And yeah, who wouldn't want to jump out of bed every morning and go, I'm doing this kind of stuff, right? It's, it's super exciting. And yeah, we're continuously building our teams. Really love to hear from anyone who wants to join the cohort and drive that change. You know, I'm excited about the innovation piece in particular. We know what we need to do, but it's going to be very hard for us to get there without bringing innovation into the space in a very significant and intentional way. So technology, I think, is going to be a key element of driving the transformational change that we do and helping our clients on that activation journey. Yeah. And then maybe, Brad, do you want to hit on the education piece? And then I'd love to circle back and unpack kind of each of these a little bit further as well to hear, you know, Chantel fully agree on the transformational piece being so exciting and seeing what that looks like innovation piece being so critical for where we need to go. And then I think Brad getting a sense for what does that education piece look like? And then as I mentioned, we'd love to circle back and kind of hear what are a few examples that really put that in context for you or kind of that piece of that project, the example, the case study, whatever it may be that you know gives you the, the fuel to the fire of we can do this and here are the examples that drive to that. But maybe before we dig into that, Brad, kind of your thoughts on education. Yeah, education. So if I look at the the work that we're currently starting to build out in the UK, thanks to the, the support of our colleagues in Spain. So we've been working locally here in Manchester, uh, where I live with an organisation called the Carbon Literacy Project. And they offer a certified approach to gaining carbon literacy training. So working with those people, we were able to help our investment partner, Palatine, to become the world's first carbon literate private equity company and also to help their portfolio companies to similarly become carbon literate and we start to see a bit of a community of purpose building up because as a consequence of that we were then invited to support a tech business who said look we're the first FTSE 100 carbon literate business and we'd like you to come and work with us to work out how we implement our science-based target program and you know similarly as on the back of that we've been working with a banking organization who wanted some support with their customer relationship directors to, to help them to engage more meaningfully with their with their customers. So it's it's broad in terms of the scope of activity we're engaging. We just finished a piece of work with a major global cosmetics brand. We're working with a, a couple of FMCG companies. And it's really exciting in that it not only provides an opportunity for us to explain what needs to be done, but it really embeds the kind of understanding at a corporate and a personal level of the changes that need to be made. And there's nothing better than having that understanding so that people can work with purpose to understand why they are changing the things that they're doing, why they need to adopt different behaviors in moving forward. So it is a really fast growing area of activity for us. It's requiring us to think differently and innovatively about how we communicate, not just through uh, using media platforms, but also how we gamify things so that people can engage in a different way in order to capture that information and to be able to apply it to the responsibilities they have in a, in a corporate and in a personal context. 
Yeah, that's great. And I, I was so excited to see education as one of those pillars within it, because I think so often we kind of get caught up in your corporate, your city, a municipality, whatever it may be, forgetting that that's just a collection of individuals, right? And that, that need for everybody to understand what that looks like. Absolutely. So yeah, thanks for that overview of those. And maybe, as mentioned, going back and kind of unpacking those one by one would be great to hear. And so maybe, Chantel, starting with you on the kind of activation side, you know, are there a few examples of that transformational change that you get particularly excited about? Yeah, Chris, I, I'm going to struggle to find one because there are so many that we are proud to talk about, particularly in our North America region. You know, we have been doing fantastic work with uh, a city that started off with a utility in the city, and it's turned out into a project which is building an ecosystem centered on sustainability that's spread far beyond the utility. And you know the client I'm talking about. So it's just fantastic to see how you can start thinking with one client and through the great work that uh, John's been doing, get that client to think about how can we expand that and create that ripple effect throughout the entire community so that you end up with sustainability hubs. Um, you're looking at an entire EV charging infrastructure. You're looking at your entire transportation network and so on and so forth. And for me, that is activation 101. It's not one company or one organization thinking about what do we need to do is thinking about how can we take our thinking what we're doing and just build it out across our entire and we keep on using the word ecosystem because that's really what it is across our supply chain across our consumers our clients you know whatever the case may be so everybody becomes involved in it and you just amplify the impact of what you're doing through the activation approach so maybe Chantel, circling back to the activation, I'm just curious if there's an example, a kind of proof point that stands out in your mind of what you think about when that transformational change model of what you aspire us to all drive towards. One more that I'm just thinking of that really excited that we've recently had Provision Coalition become part of the Anthesis family, now known as Anthesis Provision, a company based in Ontario, Canada. And they're doing, I think, really exciting activation work and, of course, haven't banished it as activation. But now that they're part of Anthesis, you know, we can start looking at what they're doing and take those case studies to the rest of our clients. So really focused on food systems and, again, working with supply chain, working with giant retailers in Canada and then looking at both supply chain and customers of those retailers and thinking about how can they take that activation journey to the wider ecosystem again for, for those giant retail clients. So great example of activation with a, a very, very large Canadian food retailer and led by Anthesis Provision. Yeah, great example of Chantal. And yeah, exciting to see that transformation, as you said, going beyond just the organizational gates. I mean, Brad, as you think about Amila, are there examples or an example that stands out for you from that activation viewpoint? Well, like Chantel, we've got too many to pick from, haven't we? But I guess the one that really comes to mind is a piece of work which has been led by James Wallace, based here in the UK. And it's for a large veterinary practice, pan-regional veterinary practice. So James set out an activated journey for the, the company and then has been knitting together our subject matter experts into a program of activation, looking at the sustainable production and consumption. So Debbie Hitchin's team has been looking at their supply chains, looking at their packaging, looking at how they can innovate their suppliers to, to provide services and, and products that are more sustainable. And then 
Ben Lynch, who leads our engineering and energy systems business, has been looking at the scope one, two impact in their assets, looking at their clinics, looking at their warehouses, looking at their laboratories and how we can mitigate the impact and focusing across the geography where there's where the grid is browner and where it's greener and then prioritizing those those mitigation measures so that the, the company gets the benefit which is not just in environmental terms, but obviously clearly in commercial and financial terms. So it makes them not only a more sustainable business, it makes them a better business, a more resilient business, and obviously uh, reflects in their enterprise valuation. So yeah, that would be uh, one that immediately springs to mind. Maybe pivoting to the education and innovation spaces, are there pieces within that that stand out to you as kind of exemplifying what we're aspiring to within that space? or? key achievements? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the parts of the economy that we uh, recognize needs quite a bit of help are small, medium enterprises. Uh, and clearly, you know, by virtue of the fact that they are smaller, uh, they don't necessarily have the, the capital available to, to support transformation. So we've had a, a flurry of interest since we've become a B Corp from B Corp companies who tend to fall into that category. Um, so we're thinking, how do we leverage our digital tools and capabilities to help that that sector of the economy. I always think it's the it's the iceberg. You know, you see the big corporates on the top, but you know, there's a great swathe of smaller enterprises within the supply chain keeping those those businesses functioning. And you know, invariably they are their scope three impact. Um, so we're looking at how we can develop our digital platforms to help that that sector of the economy to gain knowledge uh, to help them you know, they may be, as Chantel said, they may be within a city. It may be a city looking to engage with its private sector to help it on its in its uh, on its journey, uh, or it may be some of our bigger corporate clients who are looking at the ways in which they can they can deal with those challenges through their supply chains. And I guess you know we're looking very much at the experience that we've gained working with um, with Tesco in running their Tesco supplier network for the last eight or so years. So that's been pretty valuable experience that we'd love to be able to apply and see how we can support other other small medium enterprises to um, to improve their performance. I think we're in a pretty unique position because we we have a fantastic software development team, we have a great uh, roster of digital tools already and it's really as Brad said looking at how can we flex those to to serve a different audience from what we might traditionally be doing. And we've been engaging in conversation with a a large lending institution and while they want to get education for themselves in terms of climate risk, and we're talking to them about just starting off with carbon literacy training as well. You know, we, Brad was mentioning the carbon literacy project earlier, and we want to do similar training for this organization. As you start chatting to them about what their needs are, you really understand, start understanding that they want to work with their clients and particularly their SMEs as well. And so I, I agree. I really like that picture of the SMEs being below the waterline, I think it's, it's a, if you can start transforming the SMEs, I think you are getting to a different place very quickly because so many of the emissions that are created are coming from SMEs and they're not really engaged in the conversation the same way that all the large institutions are. So there's a real opportunity for transformational change there. Yeah, it seems to be this exciting pivot from, I know we've seen a lot of large corporates that have well-staffed reporting teams and that's been the big focus of the sustainability group within the organization and this hard pivot that I think we're going through to, you know, it's nice that it's a nice looking report, but what is laying behind that in terms of those foundational pieces? And I know you two are leading a lot of efforts to kind of really dig in to those foundational improvements. So 
really appreciate that. Any other kind of key examples that stand out to you or proof points that you come back to? I guess going back to innovation, Chris, I mean, you know, it, it is technology innovation that we need to look at, but there's also a load of commercial innovation that I guess that's going to help and support the transformation. So one of our colleagues, uh, Dean Sanders, Dean has been working with a, an FMCG company and they have a particular desire to mitigate their, their impact. They have a huge commitment around their offset budget. And they said, well, you know, what if we looked differently at the offset budget? And we applied that to actually fixing the problem that's creating the emissions. So why don't we reuse that money that we're setting aside each year to solve the problem? So Dean and colleagues are now looking at, it's particularly around a packaging issue that they have. So, you know, he's helping them to find new technology providers that may be able to provide lower impact packaging, which will take away their need for that offset in the future. So I think it's a, a lovely example in terms of it's it's thinking beyond the obvious and how we can help clients to think about using their financial power in a different way to create good. Yeah, and we're seeing similar opportunities here. It's interesting that packaging is suddenly really at the forefront of so many organizations' minds. And you wouldn't typically think of sustainability commitments as starting with packaging. You might think about them as starting with a GHG inventory, for example, and, you know, taking that to saying, well, perhaps we should set a net zero goal or think about a science-based target. As you start unpacking all of that and thinking about you know, where do we start making the changes, packaging is becoming an absolutely the focal point for so many organizations. And Lisa Grice is, is leading our sustainable products packaging and circularity solution here in North America. She's building up a fantastic packaging team under her. And again, they're bringing some really innovative thinking to how can clients start solving problems and thinking about problems differently in terms of the makeup of the, the ingredients that are going to the packaging development, obviously they put the products inside the packaging, but it's just a very different way of them to think about sustainability. And I think it's very exciting. It's, it, it allows us to engage with different parts of the client's organization as well. And again, gets us very engaged with the supply chain. So through the work Elena Kocharovsky is doing, supplier engagement starts taking on a different perspective. It's not just thinking about the scope three emissions, it's start looking at everything to do with that supply chain to support, for example, change in packaging. So the real shift that we're starting to see this year, we spoke at the beginning of this conversation around net zero and ESG as being the sort of two big drivers, but it's now getting much more granular. And I think talking to people in organizations who can really who understand what can be done differently, what needs to be done differently, as opposed to talking to only the board, which is critical, but getting the whole organization engaged, I think is a real opportunity for change. I'm excited about that. Great. And maybe to kind of look to wrap things up, I think that this is a great kind of pivot point and exemplifies a lot of the thesis culture that I love so much, which is that rather than just paying for offsets, how do we solve the problem, right? Looking at these monumental, huge challenges, as you were saying, Chantel, and rolling up our sleeves and trying to figure it out and get the right people engaged and moving that forward. So just wondering, as you look ahead, if you're in the elevator with somebody that's trying to think about how to get engaged, how to move forward, what would you recommend people do to, to get started, to, to take that next step? I'd say to them, come and join us and be part of the activation opportunity. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah, yeah, the door's open. So I guess, you know, we, we're keen to ensure that we are continuing trying to provide clients and the world at large with, with inspiration. So you know, we are regularly producing content, webinars and the like to help 
clients engage with the agenda and, and take the first step. It is a, let's face it, it's a, it's a big subject. It's a complicated subject and it, it demands an understanding of a broad range of, of topic areas. We're here to help to provide that through, through our website, through our social media channels and through access to our professionals. But, you know, we continue to want to promote things through, through the various media to help people to get a, a basic understanding so they know what the initial steps are that they need to take. Yeah, I think also it's, you know, that famously a journey of a thousand miles starts with the first step. And for many people, many organizations and the people within the organizations, it, this can be a journey that they just don't know how to embark on. And so sometimes that means they stand waiting. I'd say don't don't wait, be curious, reach out to, to us or other organizations, of course, as well. And just say, you know, we've, we've heard about sustainability, we've heard about net zero, we've heard about ESG. What should we be doing? Should we be doing anything? And just start a conversation. I think that's the, most, the first and most important step to take is be curious and start that conversation. And taking one step is way more important than taking no steps. So, you know, we absolutely recognize that um, this is a very long journey for all of us. But if we don't all start taking that first step, uh, we are really going to be in a right old pickle. So get involved is what I would say. Don't worry about the size or scale or maturity of your organization. Everybody taking one small step is what it can and will make a huge change. Yeah, and I, I was just going to say, Chantelle, you know, the, the, it's important that I think organizations understand what's material to them, especially in the context of the kind of powerful drivers we're starting to see emerge in our market space at the moment. You know, we talked about ESG and for many of our clients, the first encounter they have with that is when they look for capital and they find that all of a sudden they need a different set of criteria to to gain access or it might be you know new regulation you know large organizations here in the uk now are obligated to declare their financial risks um, associated with the task force for climate related financial disclosures regulations which are coming in you know the task force for nature related financial disclosure is is working on at the moment that's going to be a future requirement and we're now facing a different set of consumer needs and requirements i have two gen z kids that completely get everything around sustainability and their their buying decisions are different from previous generations where they want to know that the thing or the service that they're buying is going to be good for the planet so i think you know organizations now have different considerations that they need to think about in terms of where they are placed within their market space and they need to understand what's material and what's not and take that step as you said Chantel. Yeah great well I think Brad great way to kind of summarize the the drivers the bigger picture Chantel I think your comment of be curious and start a conversation is a great way to summarize kind of that initial step within it and really hope that and appreciate you both taking the time to kind of start this conversation for us. And hopefully that's inspiring a lot of action going forward. So thank you both so much for the time. Really appreciate it. Thanks for uh, getting the conversation going, Chris. Cheers, Chris. Thanks, Chantel. Take care. And thank you all very much for listening. We really appreciate it. Um, as mentioned throughout the show, if you're interested in learning anything else about Anthesis Group, uh, the resources, expertise, projects, and opportunities to join us on this journey, please don't hesitate to go to anthesisgroup.com where all of our resources are available, as well as our contact information in the show notes. Please feel free to reach out with any suggestions, feedback, thoughts. And uh, with that, uh, we wish you all well. 
Stay safe and we'll talk to you soon.